0: Empire Podcast this week. Are you ready? Are you ready for Dex? Dex. Dexter Fletcher. Yes, that's right. We talk to Rocketman director Dexter Fletcher about his Elton John biopic. And we pod smart with book smart stars Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein. All that and more in the movie podcast that still doesn't have a Japanese final ticket and beginning to think the universe Has it in for me. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Emperor Podcast. As ever, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. We have Ben Travis. He's young, idealistic. Look at him. Look at him. Walk around him. He's magnificent. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm I'm good after that intro. I feel very good about myself. Yeah. Yeah. Wearing a t shirt today that is festooned liberally with dinosaurs. Yes. Mm.
1: I think my little brother had that when he was three.
0: (laughs) I might have stolen it from him. And as you've heard as well, our geek queen, Helen O'Hara, is here in a shirt that is liberally festooned. What is that? Flowers? I think it's
1: flowers. They're flowers. kind of blotches.
0: All right. Okay. Helen, before we get into the podcast. Yes. I want to ask you something. Sure. You're a legal expert, right? Oh, God. What you're, have you done? You're a barista.
1: Um, I'm a barrister, but sure. I also know a lot about coffee.
0: I know. All right. Okay. So I'm thinking of doing a shout out on the podcast. Mm-hmm. For Champions League final tickets. Right. And in exchange, mm-hmm. I will guarantee mm-hmm. a good review of whatever film the person who can right. pick me up with a film. And,
1: you, and you're wondering, I mean, it's not not just really a legal question, is it, Chris? It's also a matter of it's, ethics. It, it's
0: a question of ethics. It's a question Eth- of which ethics. Is why, yeah. Which is why I want to just talk amongst ourselves, sure. friends. Sure, but just
1: privately before we... Privately.
0: or fair okay. as it were,
1: yeah. I would say that would be un... Unethical, Chris. Unethical. Mm-hmm. All right.
0: Okay. Um, um, would there be any legal repercussions um, of I, I of think this?
1: From, from your employer, uh-huh. yes. Yes, I think. They don't have to be. know.
0: They don't have to know. No one ever listens to this podcast.
1: That's, I mean, that's true. Actually, nobody upstairs does listen to the podcast. We could say literally anything. those idiots, <laughs> the worst.
0: It's just um, the literal living worst. And well, they don't I can't see
1: any way that any of them could back backfire. They don't listen
0: to the podcast, which is great. Which great because you can say hey,
1: whatever you like. It's
0: fine. So okay, so, so uh, yeah, yeah. So so if, so if,
1: I have concerns, Chris. Is what yeah. I would flag up. You those have concerns.
0: concerns. It's a week and a day to go, or yeah. eight days if you want. To the Champions League final, I don't have a ticket yet, Helen. Good lord, I am desperate. It's in okay? Madrid,
1: isn't it? See, I it know is Madrid. Thing. You yeah. know
0: Madrid, and you've like I've, recommended places in Madrid I could go.
1: I have. You know, Chocolatería San Ginés for the best chocolate conchurros. I'm I just have saying. no
0: idea what you just said, <laughs> I but know. I it would. Sounds tasty. It sounds great, doesn't it? So I'm just saying that hypothetically, what if you were? What if hypothetically mm-hmm. I were to say? If someone listening out there right now, connected mm-hmm. to a film, maybe not connected to a film, can get me two <laughs> Champions League final tickets. All right. right. This is a hypothetical.
1: It's a hypothetical, Chris. We're just spitballing
0: here. Sure, we are. Totally fine. Two Champions League final tickets. Yeah. Ideally, a box.
1: Well, I mean, a box. you may as well aim, for, aim high, hypothetically.
0: Absolutely. Sure. Flights and accommodation <laughs> for two people, because you've got to take the wife.
1: Sure, I'm of course.
0: Gonna, of got course. got to. You've got to. I have to. And I guarantee... Mm-hmm. As a result, a four-star, wow. Wow. four-star review of any film you happen to make.
1: So, like, if, this if, is, if the makers of, I don't know, you know, Angry Birds 3 are out there listening.
0: That's tricky because they sponsor Everton Football Club. Who, Anyway, it's... A okay, holy. okay. Okay, so maybe not them. Okay, okay so not, they're not going to come to my rescue in this one.
1: So, if, if the makers of, you know, Anonymous Human... 2, right, <laughs> Shakespeare still didn't do
0: it. <laughs> and they wanted, me, they wanted me to go on the podcast... Yeah. And say wholeheartedly that I think uh, Stephen Shakespeare, Shakespeare
1: didn't do it. <laughs> Stephen Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> William Shakespeare did not write any of his plays. Mm-hmm. And I got two Champions League final tickets, flights, and accommodation. I mean, you talk about integrity. Yeah, right? I do.
1: Yeah. You yeah, talk about
0: honour. Uh-huh. You talk about ethics. Yeah. And I think in many, many ways, I like to think of myself as the Atticus Finch of this podcast. Wow,
1: right? you are using that name wrong.
0: I am, I am just, I'm an unassailable
1: you're honest, pillar. You're Honest Abe Hewitt, <laughs> is that what you're saying?
0: I'm a pillar you're, of ethics.
1: You're Chris, I could not tell a lie, Washington.
0: I am the original paragon of virtue, <laughs> right? That's just say. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Hypothetical.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Throwing us out there. This is a competition. Right? No, it's I'm not seeing a this. I'm seeing this as an opportunity not just to get me and my wife flights, accommodation, and two tickets to the <laughs> Champions League final next week. I'm seeing this as an opportunity to kickstart someone's career. All right? So right. I don't think that Steven Spielberg, because we know he listens to this podcast, I don't think Steven Spielberg is going to call me from the set of West Side Story and go, hey, Chris, I've got two tickets to the Champions League final plus flights and accommodation in Madrid for you and your wife. But we
1: know he has access to jets, so he could take care <laughs> of the flights. <laughs>
0: Yes indeed. Uh, but I just say okay you're you're a struggling filmmaker, right? You, mm-hmm. you you're you're struggling to get your uh, your project off the ground. What I am offering you hypothetically of course. is four-star review in Empire magazine. Mm-hmm. Effusive praise on the podcast, maybe even a spoiler special and a guaranteed slot on this podcast for 3 weeks.
1: Wow. Okay. I want to I want to counter your hypothetical with another hypothetical, right? Do you remember the last time that, that Liverpool was in this final?
0: Do I? Boy, do I ever okay. it was last year.
1: It, was it? Oh it was. okay. The one you went to though. Do you remember the last one? The one you went to in Oh Istanbul? the one I went to
0: in two thousand five in Istanbul. I don't know if okay, I will we'll yes, okay. just a little bit
1: of a little bit um that came that was like a Hail Mary just like a, a stroke of luck a, just a lightning bolt from the blue that you got to go to that right it was very last minute you you know you you got the chance of tickets you book your flights you just went
0: I just I just I just packed you my did, bags you went, did it
1: okay and you didn't and give a you shit. were yeah and you were very glad that you did obviously very glad out. okay but here's my hypothetical mm-hmm. if something like that now happens yes right if something like that happens where someone Comes through with a ticket for you, where suddenly you get lucky and you get a ticket. All of our readers will now assume you're corrupt.
0: Oh my god! I think they probably already assumed that. Well, <laughs> why would they assume that? This is a private conversation between friends. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're not going to hear this, so they they're won't. not going to hear this. Because no. even if I recorded this, I edit the podcast. Ah, it's fine. Especially this week, producer Jane's not here, so I get to edit this podcast. So I'm just saying, if I had recorded anything incriminating in any way. I can cut it out, guys. Wow. Your mind so, is the seed of the crime. I am like the Lex Luthor of this podcast in many ways. Oh, God. Do you not think? Um, Atticus Finch and Lex Luthor are, for, for me, I mean, very similar. Both
1: of them are better dressed. More likely to wear an ascot.
0: All right, Helen, you've, you've, you've said too much. So should we get on with the podcast? <laughs> yeah, we probably should. All right, okay. But that's just a hypothetical. Just throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. You can get your big break. Just contact me at Chris Hewitt. My DMs are open. So... Time now for a question on the podcast, and it comes from the catchingly named at WTFPL101. Given the Russo brothers have now lifted their official moratorium on spoilers for Endgame and are openly discussing big moments, how soon is too soon? And is it different for TV?
1: Interesting. We've kind of discussed this a little bit in the past. Um, I think there's an inverse correlation between how big a film is and how long a spoiler embargo lasts right so the bigger the film the shorter the the period of time mm-hmm. where you can expect not to be spoiled and I think this is true of TV to an extent as well. So the the spoiler embargo for the last episode of Game of Thrones lasted approximately zero hours. I
0: mean, people are live tweeting it. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. basically, uh, the spoiler embargo as we saw for um, for Endgame was about two weeks ish. There was there was some leakage before then. Let's be honest, but it was not. It was <laughs> oh, not. Oh, there was a lot of leakage from I saw <laughs> oh, Endgame. God, Chris. But it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as it has been for, for some of the films. But equally, I know I've talked about this before, but we had people complaining that we had spoiled The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari <laughs> in the magazine once, which was made, uh, if I'm correct, in 1929. Um, it was at the time some 80 years old, and um, I got a letter complaining vociferously that we had spoiled it. Was it a
2: handwritten letter? Because it might have been someone who was 80 years old. <laughs> Maybe it was.
1: No, there, were, there was a handwritten letter. There were also um, comments on our, I think at the time, forums. This is how mm. long ago it was.
0: Yeah. Also, if you spoil a cabinet, you just get a French polisher in and that's that shit gets sorted right away.
1: That's so wise, Chris. Thanks for that. Yeah.
0: I am in very many ways, no. I would say. No? No. The Atticus Luther no. of this
1: podcast. <laughs> So, yeah, so I feel like there's an inverse relationship between the size of the film and and how long you can expect the embargo to last. Yep. If it's a smaller film, you know, a sort of like a little indie that's come out of Sundance or something and has a, you know, big twist ending or whatever, I would expect that to last a lot longer and I would expect you to be much more careful Mm. um, in spoiling that. I think if it's a really huge thing, if it's a really kind of big cultural moment, the fact that you haven't got round to it yet with respect is not everybody else's problem past a certain point. And everybody else should be able to to discuss what this thing
0: in the culture is. What well, um, point? What well, point? Because here's, well, here's the thing. We were, having a, we were having a discussion yeah. about Endgame because I've been very, very cagey about Endgame spoilers. And I used to be, I used to think back in the day, people could probably go back and listen to early episodes of the podcast where we discussed a question that's quite similar to this, but obviously that was quite a long time ago. And, you know, we've all changed and grown as human beings. But back in the day, I was really kind of like Old Testament about spoilers in terms of I didn't give a shit by yeah. and large because I'm the spoiler looker-upper. That was you that was are. what I yeah. it's what I did. You're
1: perverse weirdo. It's
0: still what I do to an extent with certain things. Weirdly, TV shows I don't watch. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the, what's developed over the last few years that. Uh, I have discovered that, I don't know, I don't know if you guys knew this, it's a lot more fun to watch something that you're invested in if you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if you Seriously? if you knew that. Oh my God. That's a weird thing, but this is it's true. a huge true. revelation. So I no longer look up spoilers for the likes of Better Call Saul or Barry or Billions. Blue Bloods,
1: which I know you're a huge Blue fan Bloods, of. Blue Bloods.
0: I'm quite evangelical about kind of keeping away from spoilers. I don't watch, I don't listen to the, you know, I, I will read spoilers for Game of Thrones, I will read spoilers for things like maybe The Walking Dead, mm. so I can kind of keep up with the cultural conversation. But otherwise, back in the day, I was really Old Testament about it. I was, I was like, no, if you've missed it, fuck you. You had your shot, that's it, we're going to discuss it. But yeah. now, with Endgame, for example, a couple of weeks ago, you and I were having a discussion, someone was, was talking to us on Twitter, and I had finally kind of gone, okay, I can talk about some of this stuff now. And someone weighed in Going, oh, thanks a bunch. I haven't seen it yet. And by this point, the movie had been out for three weeks. Mm. My initial reaction was, "You've had three weeks to see it," but now I'm not so sure.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I remember that. It was, um, I mean, it was after the official spoiler embargo had lifted, and we were in an <laughs> at just conversation. A ludicrous yeah, just. And we are, we were in an at conversation. Like we weren't publicly posting spoilers. You had to follow several of the participants to be getting this, these messages. Precisely. In our defense, yeah. But yeah, and, th- and there are steps that you can take to pr- protect yourself from spoilers. I do feel like, you know, I don't want to victim blame here, but I do think that you can take some basic steps, mute some basic words. That said, that totally didn't work for Game of Thrones this last season. It was the,
2: the moments, the Twitter moments yes. is what will get you. Twitter moments had you. I had all of the phrases blocked, all of the hashtags, everything muted, but I still had to make sure I got up early on Monday mornings to watch it before coming into yep. work. Because then even as soon as you open the app and go onto the search tab or whatever, it's like, this just happened in Game of Thrones.
0: Can you
1: believe that Arya did that thing that she did? Oh my God.
0: You've got to be considerate of others, right? Don't you? I think that's the thing. Like, just don't be a dick. Yeah, I think that's it.
2: If if it's a pretty old thing and you think that generally people aren't going to care that much about it, then, like, I don't know, like you said, Helen... If it's in the culture, then it's there to be spoken Mm. about and discussed. But if it's something that's recent or that, you know, a lot of people really care about, I think things like Endgame and Game of Thrones as well, it's something that people have an incredible amount of investment in over a very long period of time. Yeah, that's also true. So it's like you can understand why people would not want to Mm. hear these things before they get a
0: chance to see it.
1: And I also feel like there is a thing about some things enter the culture in a way that others do not like. The twist in Jacob's Ladder was much talked about at the time.
0: That it wasn't a
2: ladder? Sure. It was more of a series of small steps. (laughs) Jacob's Crackers like... It was actually chaos.
1: (laughs) It was actually Jacob's chaos. Oh, okay. Anyway. No, um, no, don't get that. No, it was terrible. Um, (laughs) But like the Sixth Sense, which was not that many years later, that entered the culture in a way that Jacob's Ladder's twist did not. So Hmm. I would be totally fine with talking about that quite openly. He sees dead people. Bruce Willis is dead. Um, In a way that I wouldn't talk about the twist in Jacob's Ladder.
0: Why do people feel that it's okay to tweet Game of Thrones spoilers Mm. instantly the second they're watching it? Also, that means you're not surely taking it all in at the same time. Mm. And yet they were so protective of Endgame spoilers. Mm. And um, I'm sure they'll be protective of the Rise of Skywalker spoilers or... Hobbs and Shaw spoilers (laughs) or murder mystery spoilers I mean no one's going to no one's going to ruin that movie okay no one's going to ruin that Adam Sandler movie Adam Sandler movies come pre-ruined so no it's going to be great I'm
1: I'm just trying to imagine what a Hobbs and Shaw spoiler would look like
0: (laughs) they don't punch anything
1: We know from the trailer that they do, unless they've got Marvel-like with the trailers and the trailers mm. are lying. Mm. And it's actually a really thoughtful treatise where they'd sit around to discuss philosophy for sure
2: <laughs> says, Picking flowers, talking oh, it out.
0: Oh no, when, when Jason Statham says can't, he means something else.
1: <laughs> oh, I
0: see. Again, spoilers are kind of in the news this week because a uh, can, you had Bong Joon-ho with his new film Parasite mm. and Quentin Tarantino with his new film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood – both saying, "Hey guys, please don't sh- spoil it." Yeah, don't spoil it. The shit yeah. that happens in this film.
1: I was slightly worried that one of the reviews of that that I read was felt spoilerific, so I've been avoiding. I haven't ones. read
0: yeah. a thing. I haven't seen. I don't want to watch the second trailer. I've read mm. something about it, but I don't. Honestly, I don't want to know. Anything I mean, there else. was
1: a twist in or two in the Hateful Eight, so yeah. you know, it, yeah. they we're probably wise to hold back.
2: I think. I think that's part of it as well is that you have to take it if you don't want to. Uh, read spoilers you've got to be take account for yourself a little bit so I am in the same boat as you I kind of don't want to know anything more about the Tarantino film at this point so I read a couple of tweets out of Cannes but I haven't read any of the full reviews because aside from that initial reaction I don't want to know anything going in and I think it's with the Tarantino one there was he didn't specifically mention spoilers in that letter I think it's just about saying what he does with his films and a lot of filmmakers do is try and take you on a ride and surprise you while you're watching something that they've made. And they just want you to be able to watch it and feel those turns and surprises Mm. in the way that you're supposed to. And I think we have a duty to an extent to try and preserve those things that obviously, to an extent, you have to talk around stuff. Mm -hmm. But we're privileged in that we get to see this stuff early. and We have to be um, not dicks about it. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. I do think it varies from film to film. Like There is a thing, I talked a lot about Hunt for the Wilder People on this podcast and everywhere since I saw it. (laughs) Um, and, And generally speaking, when I'm recommending it to people, I leave out a major plot point that happens about 20 minutes in.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Um. because I, I consider that a slight spoiler actually yep. even though in terms of running time it, it isn't and in terms of a lot of reviews have, have put it out there front and centre they don't consider it a major twist or anything mm-hmm. it's not a twist but I do think it's a little bit of a spoiler but then the other thing is I think a lot of spoilers don't spoil the film I think generally speaking, if you're into the story and you care about the characters, you're still going to enjoy it, even if you know that there's a twist coming, even if you know that so-and-so dies, um, even if you know that so-and-so kills the whatever it was. It, I feel like you're, you're still, generally speaking, if it's good, going to enjoy it. So I, I feel like we all need a bit of breath sometimes about them.
0: Is is there something about as well about the people almost take into consideration the lengths that you can go to to enjoy this content? And maybe that is something they consider when being respectful of spoilers. So Endgame, for example, is something that you have to physically get out of your house to go to see. So maybe you can understand why people may not have seen it right away, mm-hmm. or maybe they didn't get there an opening weekend, or maybe they even didn't even get around until the third weekend. But with Game of Thrones, you're right there. You're on your sofa, and you have no excuse really for missing it so maybe that's why people I'm not condoning this in any way shape or form mm. I think that live tweeting spoilers during the TV show is ridiculous but
1: then live tweeting something like Eurovision for example is that's part fun. of the experience yes
0: that's true and I
1: feel like I think people were going for that same feeling with Game of Thrones they, if they were watching it on their own let's say first thing in the morning or last thing at night when maybe the rest of their family was asleep mm-hmm they want. They still wanted to talk to someone about it, going, oh, my God, can you believe the thing that just happened? Yes. And so I, I, I do get the urge. I really do. But um,
2: Also, the memes, the sweet memes.
1: The you memes. They were, they were, I believe, dank there memes. Was, um, they were. Oh, my
0: God, those memes yeah. were so goddamn dank. Uh, so basically, uh, after going around the houses in this for a long, long time, how soon is too soon is basically the question. And the answer I is, think, uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, we don't really have an answer in this one. But you're right. Live tweeting stuff. I live tweet football matches all the time. Um, perhaps not this week's Champions League final because I will be at that game. Two tickets. Flights accommodation. Exchange for review. Chris? Podcast. What? What? That seemed wrong. Just, mm-hmm. what's Morse code for two tickets? Because I can just tap no, it out.
1: No, 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 Chris. No,
0: okay. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, you can get in touch via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast or chances are we won't see it. We're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine and you can email us as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Right, shall we have our first guests? Hurrah! So Booksmart is Olivia Wilde's directorial debut. It's amazing! I haven't seen it yet. I hear it's, it's fantastic. It's a raucous high school comedy. Yes. yes. Very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Very, so very, very funny. sharp. Mm-hmm. So sharp. And revolves around two characters played by Beanie Feldstein mm-hmm. and Caitlin Dever. They're going to be your new favourite people in the entire world. They're I'm so very excited about this movie. This opens on Monday. We will be reviewing it on next week's episode. But we wanted to bring you the interview with Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Dever, who came into this very booth or a booth just like it somewhere else, I had to talk to our very own fearless leader, Empire's Editor-in-Chief, Terry White, so about generous. the whole shebang. Shebang! Shebang! So here we are, Terry White, talking to Beanie Felstein and Caitlin Deaver. Do please enjoy.
3: Welcome to rainy London. We are here to talk about Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, Smart. Start us off, tell us a little bit about the film and about your characters. Yeah, well, Caitlin and I
4: play... Molly and Amy, who are two super brilliant, overachieving best friends on the last day of high school in Los Angeles. And they have dedicated their entire lives to each other and their friendship and schoolwork. And they've made many choices along the way to sort of delineate that that is their path in life. They are going to value each other and they're going to value schoolwork and they want to go to great colleges and have great careers. And then on the last day of high school, my character discovers that All of these kids who she thought were just frivolous Mm -hmm. and having fun and hooking up and being crazy were actually also studying very hard and getting great grades and are also going to great schools. And she decides to beg Amy to go along with her on this sort of journey of proving what they already know, which is that they are smart and fun. And it's a really beautiful adventure comedy that's rooted in this very true, very warm um, female friendship.
3: Yeah, and it essentially is a story of female friendship, but as you say, it's got this kind of twist in a sense because they are smart girls and they're unashamed smart girls. Yeah.
5: I love that this movie is not a makeover movie. These Mm. girls never feel the need to change anything about themselves. They just want to prove to all of their peers at high school that they aren't one-dimensional and that they are smart and fun and silly and gross and all the other things they're never ashamed of who they are they never feel like they have to put on makeup or a dress when they go out for a party because
4: they honestly dress down (laughs) we always joke they like dress down (laughs) from their school looks to the party looks (laughs) Um and they're not chasing after a boy. They're just out to
3: prove to their classmates what they know in their hearts, which is that they are multidimensional. And they mess up at points during the film, but they're not hot messes, right? And yeah. I think that's important as exactly. well. Exactly. It's
5: important to see women who aren't just clumsy and we don't have to like make fun of them for this to pass as a comedy. Their comedy lies in their intelligence and their wit and their banter between each other, which is something that I love from the very beginning.
3: And you've both been making films for quite a bit of time now, even though you're still super young. But presumably, it's like these girls would often, I think, be side characters in a movie. And Mm -hmm. the fact that they're leads feels kind of amazing, but also surprising still somehow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
4: yes Yes. Um, we always say we've never seen one of these characters at the center of a film let alone two and that's what's so special about book smart is it is centered around two incredibly bright incredibly motivated young women who are so unique and thriving in their own way and yet they are never once competitive with one another in fact Mm. it's like the exact opposite they're aggressively obsessed with each other and also to see the smart type a type of girl have a friend and not only a friend but an incredible friend and an incredible partnership is really special because often those characters as you said are side characters but they're also like alone on their journey Mm.
5: and for their sexual orientation to be different amy Mm. is a queer character and molly's character is straight and there's never any tension between them ever yeah um
4: neither of their yeah, sexual about... relationships like come into their friendship in any way yeah. like in other films it would be like they'd fighting over a guy they'd or make it a thing there's a jealousy it's... thing but they're the exact opposite
3: they're like go get them girl I'm <laughs> so
4: proud of you want you to have the best time and um, the
3: crushes don't move to the center of the film right that that, that is one kind of storytelling note but it's not your friendship doesn't get supplanted at any point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's
4: um, it's a part of your teenage years, and a big part of your teenage years, crushing and your first experiences. So it's it's definitely included in the film, but in a very natural
3: way that doesn't um, take away from their. Friendship it's not the at all, goal of their night at all. <laughs> yeah, right. Your chemistry, as we're already seeing this morning, <laughs> is banging. So. <laughs> Tell me about the first time you met. Was it love straight away? It yes. really was.
5: We we always say it was love at first sight. We always say that we were just passing each other. Ships, ships in, in the, the night. night. Gosh. Are we going to say <laughs> something else at the same time? We Maybe. Tried. Who knows? Yeah, we had been passing each other, um, and we both were huge fans of each other. We were both cast, um, but still hadn't met until our first lunch with Olivia. And Olivia says, when we first met, we hugged for about 45 minutes (laughs) and proceeded to hold hands like we were engaged the entire (laughs) lunch. Um, It was our
4: first meeting and our engagement party at the same
5: time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I had read the script about four years ago. uh, And it wasn't until two years later, Olivia was attached. And Mm. when I first met Olivia, she was like this movie is not happening without beanie feldstein and so
4: crazy that's that i had (laughs) no idea this was happening (laughs) that information didn't get to me for months (laughs) yeah but i i truly am caitlin's number one fan she's like one of the most extraordinary actresses of our age and i am so she always does this it's just (laughs) the truth that's the thing Everyone that sees the film is like, Beanie, you were great. Can we talk about Caitlin? <laughs> i like, let's talk about Caitlin. And they're like, yeah, yeah, nice to see you. Um, and so I had known that she was going to be Amy. And when I met with Olivia, I didn't really understand what exactly I was meeting her for. Like, I knew she was directing Booksmart, but I didn't know what character she had had in mind. And then she was like, I, I want you to play Molly. And I was like, wait, Molly's one of the two, and is Caitlin still playing Amy? And she was like, uh-huh. And I was like, oh, my God. What a dream to get to be her partner on this journey. Because their friendship is the main character of the Mm. film. It's not one of the two girls. It's their dynamic and the space between them. And um, we lived together through the entire rehearsals and prep and filming, which was incredible. I mean, you don't know anyone like you know your roommate. Like, it's the coziest, most intimate, you know, relationship. And we felt like we were making up for lost time because Molly and Amy have known each other since elementary school. Mm -hmm. And I haven't spent a day apart since the day they met. And so we knew in order to make the film as honest and authentic and funny as it could be, we had to make up for lost time and sort of spend as much time together as we could. And the first time we met, we decided to live together. And that just was sort of the icing on the cake of it all.
5: For most films when you're when you're told to be best friends with someone, you don't ever really get that time. Yeah. Like usually you'll go on location and you're staying at least in the same hotel. But the fact that we were able to share an an apartment together and go home and eat pancakes when we woke up so and, many pancakes. Go our <laughs> and go over lines and go over a mandarin that we had to learn <laughs> quickly learn for the movie, as you'll see soon, it was like immeasurable. And we were so happy that Olivia was so open to ideas and so open to that and yeah, yeah i don't think this film would have been the same had we not gotten to know each other and as well didn't as we did feel before. like a
4: job it felt like a, a life yeah. style
5: and, the, and by the time we started shooting we had created this trust for each other that mm. that i think was super helpful in in times of like you know because we're talking the whole movie this is our first me and beanie had never led a film before so this was our first time doing that and i'm so glad i got to hold your hand the yeah, whole time me too. because it just it just made it all the better in times that we really needed it you know for a, a, w- there's this heartbreaking scene between molly and amy and it's a beautiful fight but like in that moment olivia wanted to do one uh one shot Uh, There's a shot where Amy is walking through this house trying to find Molly, and they finally find each other. And then there's this long scene, and Olivia wanted to try to accomplish it in one shot. shot. Mm. And we're like, all right, we looked at each other, and we were like, you know, we just said, I got you. And like, if we mess up, we mess up. But like, that was really. Between Olivia
4: and our friendship with each other, there was. It felt. And Katie Silverman, our incredible writer, it felt like such a safe set because comedy can be really vulnerable i mean it's so fun but also you're like really putting yourself out there in a different way when you're especially when you're improvving and it was such a warm collaborative set and that obviously comes from olivia but then also having each other it felt like you can do no wrong like i will catch you if you fall i'll be right there to save like come in and with the save and um it's such a team effort the film you know
5: yeah I realize you just asked one question and yes, we, we went on for, for 20 minutes. minutes. This is the dream.
3: This is you the dream I taught you. She just you. cut us off I at any moment. just asked us a question an <gasps> eternity ago. <laughs> so, 23 day shoot, right? 23? 26. 26 right? Yeah. 25 and a 25. half. 25. Yeah. There was a fake day. <laughs>
4: they were like, pre-production day, day. We fully shot one of the most important scenes of the film. on like, the pre-production day. is what they day. called it. But yeah, and, 25
5: days. And then
3: you'd live together, and you'd live together for two months. So that five weeks-ish you spent before the yeah. shoot, were you working that entire time, or were you just kind of hanging out to develop this chemistry We were, about? I mean, a lot of our time was spent in rehearsal.
5: Um, again, the Mandarin lessons. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Uh, So
4: Olivia did an incredible amount of rehearsal, especially for a comedy. I think people don't prioritize it. Um, Maybe with like a family drama or something, you would think of it more readily. But for uh, a comedy, I I never had this much prep time, which is, is not just a given. That was Olivia carving out that time and creating that time for us. So when we were in work, you know, when we were going to the production offices and doing the rehearsals, we were definitely focused. But then the rest of the time... We were running lines sometimes, but it was a lot of just like being relaxed, around, being know. around
5: each other, driving around L.A., listening, listening to Casey so much Musgraves. Casey Musgraves, <laughs> the Golden Hour album was it defined.
3: That she as big here as she is in the States. Guys, I have no idea. Who oh, my God. About. She's well, country <gasps> music. <gasps> isn't oh, very big here. But, like country's not very British, but she's I'm pop sorry, country. That's... So
4: it's like not as okay, she's amazing. Just check I'm going li-
3: to I'm going to listen to her after yeah, this. You, we're, you really we're, should. We're obsessed. We're <laughs> What but- did you learn about each other in that time or is it a case of you learn everything? I think you just yeah,
4: I I really just got to know I just know. know her. Yeah. I fed her a cookie with my hands yesterday.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I had something in my literal eyeball and she put her finger right on my eyeball yeah, which is not, like, this is not like
4: me that's not like Beanie at all <laughs> i was, I was like, very this shocked is love. this is r- <laughs> true love my favorite thing about Caitlyn is she's the oldest of two younger sisters and she's such a good sister and i feel like we've sort of become i've just made you my sister now because i think you're <laughs> such a good sister i'm like and it's happening i don't know if there's so many things there's so many things yeah, her I taste in music and she's such an incredible musician you get a taste of her singing in, in the film but her and her sister have such a beautiful band um, that you should all listen to oh, and, always,
3: and what are they, they called Beulabelle Beulabelle yes okay my Spotify list is growing during this <laughs> interview <laughs> <And>
4: <laughs> they're like a young Haim
3: oh you know how Heim because
4: their sisters their voices are like magnetic together That's oh like her and Maddie but I mean like I, I can't
5: um, even, I don't even know where to begin everything.
3: But let's talk a little bit about Olivia. So we spoke to her last week for a big piece in Empire magazine Amazing. and she talked about it from her perspective and she referenced quite a few films that kind of inspired her mm-hmm. of a similar ilk so clueless, Ferris Bueller, John Hughes movies. Yeah. Did you watch any of those in in prep or were they kind of her references? She
5: got us all together right before we started shooting. I think it was like the night before we yeah. we, we, we our pre-production day. One. day. Yes. <laughs> and um, we all got together and watched Fast Times at Ridgemont mm. High. And it was really great because that's such an ensemble piece. And it really is another one of those great generational anthems that I think we were sort of... It, it, that was a huge inspiration for us.
4: Absolutely. But and also those like, really tender moments, too. Yeah, really, like, sweet... Vulnerable Vulnerable sweet moments, moments within such a broad, raucous time, and so that was that was hugely inspirational to us. Breakfast Club, we talked about a lot. Yeah. For the characters specifically, the references were a bit different than for the film, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, the characters for Molly and Amy, we talked a lot about Matilda and Lisa Simpson, Hermione Granger, Best, Best Friendships, flick. like Broad City. Yeah. I don't know if you know Broad City. Yes. Mm. We were just thinking about Romy and Michelle the other day, too, yeah, which is such a, a great one. one. But for the Bridesmaids film itself, is a... yeah, Bridesmaids is just forever and always. Yeah. Everything I'm a part of, I just <laughs> want them to be anything like *Bridesmaids*. <laughs> Katie Silverman always talks about how those films are so successful because they really capture the decade that they take place in, and yet transcend time all you know all, all at once. So they are those films you want to watch over and over again, even though they're so distinctly '70s or distinctly '80s. And that is Katie Silverman and Olivia's real genius in the film is that you watch it and it feels very current and very fresh and feels like they just capture this real authenticity of 2019. And yet, anyone at any age can really connect to it. And I think it will, you know, stand the test of time because it's really just about friendship at the end of the day.
5: And people have also been telling us that it's their new sleepover movie, which is like...
3: (laughs) Literally all you could ask for in my life. Say about that?
5: Like, I don't even know. Like, it blows my mind.
3: And that obviously part of that came from how the film was made. And Olivia talked about wanting to create a different kind of set Mm -hmm. and a very different kind of set than maybe she'd experienced as an actor. How did she do that? I know she used music. She used a lot of music. And I think speaking of music, the soundtrack
5: for this movie is going to be iconic. I think it's so beautiful made and crafted um brian ling and dan the Automator like are geniuses and <laughs> so olivia is like music. she has the coolest taste in music so the music in this movie is dope so dope <laughs> but she was playing a lot of the music um that's actually in the soundtrack on on set we were playing a lot of lizzo lots of hip-hop we were because we were doing like six p.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning night shoots for about four weeks because most of the Mm -hmm. movie takes place over one night so we had to sort of stay awake and keep it alive but Olivia was really focused on making a set that is most comfortable for everyone and also just I think everyone had the same amount of passion for this movie and that was just because she hired the best people for the job she hired people who really loved and saw this story so truthfully for what it is and um
4: she gave people real ownership over their um and that is not just the cast but every single crew member so i remember like Our costume designer, April Napier, who's a genius and props and hair and makeup, they all felt such ownership over their portion of the artistry that will infuse the film. Yeah, and I think
5: also because she has been on so many different sets and worked with so many smart, wonderful directors, she's been able to take good and bad and sort of create her dream set as an actor, which...
4: Is amazing
3: for amazing us because we get to, to be on a yeah. dream set for actors. And how different is it having a director who has been up until this point mainly an actor? She's obviously done short films, but her day job was acting. She is so hands
4: on in every decision, yeah. and I think that comes from when she was. She always jokes when she was on sets as an actor, she would always be like in Video Village, trying to watch the monitor, trying to see what was going on, and. And had so many ideas, and so now that she's finally been given the driver's seat, there is no stone left unturned. She is so deeply thorough and hands-on from, you know, when she first signed on to direct it, all the way to now she's still making decisions about Mm -hmm. the release of the film, and it's really inspirational to watch. Like watching her, we—I always say it's like was watching someone fulfill their destiny. Yeah,
5: we've never seen someone. I've never seen someone so happy and so in their element. She yeah. just really knows how to make everyone feel comfortable, everyone feel equally heard, and that their yeah. opinions are valid. And um, is so open to collaboration and open to conversation.
3: Yeah. Well, and she ran it off book, right? And mm-hmm. people were improving. What's that like that, as an actor?
5: Yeah. I always. Prepare and I'm always memorized in going into something, but I've never, I've always taken the script with me as sort of like a, like I I lean on it. Yeah, Yeah, it's my security blanket. And with Liv, she really wanted to make sure that we came to set prepared. And by the time that we came to set, we were prepared enough where there was this sense of looseness and we could have the space to play in that environment where. If we were like looking down at our lines, it's, it'd be distracting yeah. and it would take away from the scene we were trying to make on the daily. So I think that it was it I was really nerve wracking for us at the beginning because we literally were like, we talked the, the whole time. And <laughs> yeah, we're I come literally... from a
4: theater background. So that's <laughs> a given that you would you would be off book at a certain point in the process. And then there is no turning back. You may not pick up that script ever again. But I'd never had a role this large, so yeah, we were just it's like, it's, "That's a, that's a, that's a lot of dialogue. And some of it's in Mandarin, <laughs> and a lot of it, even if it's in English, is ah, a lot of vocabulary. <laughs> um, I, I was, we watched the film last night, and I was really laughing at the way they sort of like drop. This is all Katie Silverman, but the way they just drop, like, really. Incredible words into very colloquial conversations, <laughs> like the references. These two she, girls have, yeah. Katie
5: Silverman, man, so she good. is. I could. We could have a whole separate podcast about, about her. Katie Silverman. We could have a whole podcast series, really.
3: Who's the writer? Yes, yes, she's right?
5: so she's such a genius. I don't even know how her brain works. She literally can come up with alt lines within.
4: 20 seconds she could have for every single character in the film and it's not like oh this is a joke it was like this is a joke for jared and here are seven others if you don't like this one this is a joke for amy this is a joke for Gigi. she really
5: made everyone sound like have such a different voice
3: and clearly a powerhouse of a female crew on book smart obviously Beanie with ladybird greta Gerwig's first feature film do you sense that this is a a quite a remarkable time for women both on screen and behind the camera. And what do you see your kind of role in that as being?
5: I think it's a wonderful time. I mean, Beanie always says that she's only worked with women this past year. And same for me, too. I've worked with Lynn Shelton and Catherine, who's in, Bigelow. Uh, Catherine Bigelow, who are these powerhouse women who are so strong and so inspiring to me. I think it's really evident that women are really standing up and, and taking charge right yeah. now, which I think is, like, super, super powerful. And I think it's just going to continue. You know, people like Olivia are just really changing the game.
4: I think what Ladybird gave me was sort of a, a realization that every project I could be a part of could mean that much to me. And so when figuring out what I would do after Lady Bird in the film world, because I'd been doing theater... It wasn't until I read at Booksmart and met with Olivia that I was like, oh, this is it. Because I think in some way, not even as a woman, but I have a responsibility to myself, not even just as a gender, but just to myself to only be a part of projects that I think are a wonderful addition to the cinematic landscape and whether that's, like, because they bring joy or because they're pushing the conversation in a different direction or because they're representing something I haven't seen before. I don't want to be a part of it unless I really love it. And I'm not someone who could sit here and talk about something I didn't love. And so I feel like a responsibility to my own self Mm -hmm. to choose projects that are deeply meaningful to me, whether it's because they're fun and they're joyous and they're happy or because they're thoughtful. And and I think this film is really both. But I think Ladybird really gave me that because I, very early in my very short working life, was like, oh, this can, can be at this level. And I didn't know that that was possible. And Greta gave me that gift. And then Olivia gave me the next sort of step in that journey. But I think when I read scripts now, I really do have a different perspective than I did before them. Yeah. Because I'm just like, well, if, when you work with women like that, there's yeah. no turning back. I know. You just want
5: to continue we, that. We, I, well, we... Booksmart, I, I mean, when I, when I read it, like, I, I immediately fell in love with it, and I put it first at the top of my list. And she I put it down in front so many of, projects. I put it in front of everything, and I'm like, I believe in this movie, and I am not doing anything else in, instead of this one. I, I just truly, truly love this story about female friendship, and I think it's so incredible that even, you know, Beanie and I, with you and Lady Bird, but then going from Booksmart, and then you went on to do How to Build a Girl, and I went on to do this... Also very female driven shows with uh Tony Collette and Merritt Weaver. That is just such a For Netflix, a- it's called yes. Unbelievable.
4: <laughs> She's my publicist.
5: <laughs> um, I just think it's like great. I mean I don't I yeah, why stop now? I'm just exactly. gonna keep I'm just gonna keep
3: going and And do you think if actors prioritize those kind of projects you're talking about, do you think that also will kind of automatically develop more opportunities for female? filmmaker. Olivia
4: always, she has this incredible phrase that she keeps saying that I just literally think about every night when I go to sleep, which is you have to shift the paradigm from within. And I think all those micro decisions, as you were saying, really over time will really create a, a large monumental shift. So I do think that even though it feels like, oh, this is just my career and this is just my work life, if you continue to choose with thought and care and, uh, sort of a macro vision of what you're doing, then those micro decisions can really thrive in in a distinct way. We are out of time, but thank you, we are.
3: I know, we were just getting started. Thank you for having us. Thank Thank you you so so much for coming in. Kathleen and Beanie, thank Thank you. (laughs) All
0: right, so that was Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver talking to Terry White. And now it is time to dig into this week's movie news. And when I say this week's movie news, I also mean last week's movie news (laughs) because in time-honoured tradition... Some massive fucking news was dropped the second we put the podcast up, and that news is that they may have found the new Batman. Yeah. And that new Batman may be Robert Pattinson. Yeah. But also, it might be Nicholas Holt.
2: Okay. But also, it probably should be Robert Pattinson. Yeah, we probably reckon be. it
0: will be Robert Pattinson. Oh, yeah, man. we think. Our I bats. think it's going to be.
1: I think it's going to be our pets. Here's why this is a good thing, right? If okay. all you know about Robert Pattinson is he was in Twilight, first of all, maybe catch up on the last decade of Robert Pattinson. Yeah, because it's dicks. been pretty good. Um, I mean,
0: nice people. Obviously. Sure, they're great people. I'm sure loyal, um, wonderful listeners.
1: Absolutely, and we appreciate every single one of them except that one guy, Glenn. <laughs> Yes, Glenn. Oh, Glenn. Worst.
2: What if Glenn is the one person who can get
0: you these tickets to the Champions League <laughs> final?
2: You don't want to alienate Glenn. saying this is all getting cut out. There's but...
0: loads of Glens. There's loads of Glens.
1: Here is the thing. What we're talking about here is a person that people dismiss as a, you know, thoughtless pretty boy who, in fact, is kind of a weirdo and very smart with a morbid streak. If that doesn't sound like Batman, I don't know who what does. He's been doing fascinating work in tiny, tiny, tiny films for most of the last decade. Um, and he's really good. I mean, if you saw him in High Life recently, if you saw him in Good Time last year, the dude can act. Mm-hmm. And um, and also, you know, he's pretty and he has an audience and they will follow him to, to interesting films. If I were a cynical person, which of course I'm not, I'm extremely optimistic, I would say that doing a Batman <laughs> every two or three years is going to allow him to do about 50 independent films around the, that and that is why he's considering this.
0: Yeah but here's the thing as well because yeah, it, it used to be that you could you could bracket actors in this sort of one for me one for them yeah. kind of category and with Pattinson I'm not so sure it's that simple. I don't think uh, he's doing I don't think he sees Batman necessarily as oh this is one for them so I get to do ten for me down the line <laughs> or even the new Chris Nolan film which we'll talk about in a few mm-hmm. seconds as well. I think he just sees interesting projects with interesting directors I think that's and if doing. they happen to be a small-ish film set in a lighthouse where he's just shacked up with Willem Dafoe and it's shot in black and white and it's deeply weird but apparently brilliant the lighthouse new Robert Eggers film which got raves in Cannes this week then that's great if it is dressing up as a Batman for, for Matt Reeves Bat mm. Reeves wait a second Bat <gasps> Reeves Robert Battenson, what the hell is going on here? Uh, if it's that, then it's great. If it's a new Chris Nolan film, it's oh, a no-brainer. You I'm, know? Not
1: saying, I'm not saying, I I don't mean to be totally cynical yeah, yeah. about it, but that's got to be part you're not, of the you because you're optimistic. Been, I am extremely optimistic. But that is, I think that has got to be part of the thinking because he's been doing these like micro-budget, really, films for, you know, very out-there experimental directors. And he's been doing brilliant work in them. So uh, maybe, he, maybe he does want to do something a little bit more mainstream and, and maybe he is. And the Batman is an interesting character. Uh, especially if they're going this kind of noir, more detective y route, which we haven't really seen on the big screen. And I'm, I'm quite excited about that potential for Batman because I do like it. Mm. So, yeah, I just, I honestly think this would be brilliant casting. I think it'd be so good. And
2: have you seen the man's jaw? Jesus Christ, he's got the best, <laughs> like, shaped face. To stick a cowl on the top half of it. Not um, that people don't want to see his face. But sure. But the bottom half of his face is perfectly framed to have a little bat thing on top of it. I know,
1: but let me just warn you about something at this point. So way back in 1995 or 6, whatever it was, a producer basically drew, doodled a bat cowl on George Clooney's face. Ooh. And that's what led to him starring in Batman. Uh, so let's not fetishize his chin too
2: much. It's the chin in combination with everything else.
1: Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That's fair.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm fully behind this casting ever happens. Nicholas Holt would also be interesting. So yeah. this is the thing that apparently there's a there was a short list. Uh, Army Hammer was also on that short list at one point, but they looked like they're going to go with uh, Robert Pattinson. And the interesting thing is and I, you know, I don't want to recycle content from Twitter that I stick up on the old Twitter machines, but I think that Nicholas Holt would be a good Clark Kent and Superman.
1: I'd like to see that.
0: He's tall, mm-hmm. he's clean cut, he can do the Mumbling physical comedy side he can do the noble Superman side if you look at Tolkien there's a moment you know towards the end of Tolkien there's moments he's like oh wow this is like almost the physical embodiment of Chris Reeve of that old Chris Reeve you know what he what he stood for so I think that would be an interesting thing if they are looking to reboot Superman and I think you know it's a shame that Henry Cavill wasn't given a shot at being the Superman that he wanted to be then maybe they could do a lot worse than cast uh, Nicholas Holt.
1: I would, I would like to see that.
0: Who knows? We're facing off with our bats, we pats, exciting stuff. Pats. "Our bat, our pats, our pats, our pats."
1: Not our our o u r bats. R-Bats. No, bats.
0: Robert Batts. No, it's it's the whole thing. So, but uh, our pats, Robert, Robert, Bobby, Bobby no, P. No, uh, is also <laughs> in the new Chris Nolan film, and we know a little bit more about it this week than we did last week when we knew. Alcohol all about it, <laughs> frankly. But now we know that it has a title. Mm, and ten- that title is Tenet. Yes, mm. not Tenant, not David Tenet. It is mm. not that. Uh, Tenet, T-E-N-E-T. And it is going to be a big action epic that the press release describes as evolving from the world of international espionage. So it looks like Chris Nolan is finally kind of really properly scratching that James Bond itch that he's had for a long, long Forever. time. Forever. Forever and, <laughs> and ever and ever. And we know that the cast has expanded a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. So we knew about John David Washington who will be the star. We knew about our about Bobby P. We knew about Elizabeth Debicki, <laughs> mm-hmm. But also now we have the likes of Cloman's Posey. Wait mm-hmm. a second. <gasps> this is a Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire reunion, it isn't it? Really is. Whoa! Whoa. Oh.
1: somebody called <laughs> Okay, somebody called Dan as well. Come on, come on, Dan, we can make it. A... Dan Radcliffe. Radcliffe, yeah.
0: This is amazing. This is Dan Batcliffe. Dan Batcliffe. Dan Batcliffe. Wait,
1: so who? There was a fourth. We need the fourth. We need Victor Crumb as well.
0: We need. And if anyone can name the actor who plays Victor Crumb, then you're doing better than uh, I. Lin- Come Lin- on, Jan. you're a millennial. So, you're out. <laughs> All millennials, know you're the out. Name of you the have, have no Crumb, idea. So.
1: All millennials know everything about Harry Potter. Uh,
0: Dimple Dimple Kapadia is also in the cast. Uh, who's a newcomer? I don't know much about Dimple Kapadia. There's also Aaron Taylor Johnson as well, which is cool. And of course, because it now seems that Chris Nolan can't make a film without Michael Caine, Michael Caine, mm-hmm. and Kenneth Branagh as well, which is all Bernard, very Bernard. exciting.
1: Do, 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 do.
0: So what do you think? Are we excited about this? I mean, it's a Chris
2: Nolan film. Of course, it's exciting. It's one of uh, the usual, it's exciting. We know nothing about it. But like you said, it is interesting that he's going full in on the on the spy stuff, and he was so great at, um, with Inception, kind of bringing those Bondy elements to his usual cerebral sci-fi uh, sort of territory isn't it great that someone like Christopher Nolan is turning around these epic kind of blockbuster temple films within a couple of years of each other it feels mm. like Dunkirk wasn't that long ago we, um, we already have another original film from him to, to look forward to so that's just always exciting
1: yeah I'm hopeful that there's more than given that there's more than one woman in the cast that there might not be a dead wife
2: <laughs> yeah. could be two dead wives <laughs> oh. oh my god <laughs>
0: God. But
1: otherwise, I'm really, really excited about it. He's really up the ante. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Unfortunately, the ante is dead as well.
1: Okay. Um, but no, I am. I am excited to see what it is um, set within the architecture of international espionage or whatever, I mean, uh, whatever it is <laughs> whatever evolving it is this time. from. Is this evolving be from. Like, I apologise.
2: Yeah. It's going to be another twist that it's I I don't know, a spy within a spy, or the spy is. Backwards
0: the spy is you. You are <laughs> the spy.
2: Whoa. The spy is actually killing himself
1: every night. Yeah.
0: Or who knows? Who knows? I'm, Maybe I'm excited secretly though. a
1: remake of like Johnny Mnemonic or something like that.
0: <laughs> I'd be up for anything, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. Except a remake of Murder Mystery starring Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler. You cannot touch a hair in that movie's head. I'm going to make sure you know who done it before you get to see and it. Fuck, <laughs> I swear to God, I will. When end is you. that
1: out?
2: Uh, no in idea. June. Okay. It's next month. I watched <laughs> oh. Netflix's, oh, coming to Netflix next month thing. It was on there. So,
1: golly. Yeah,
2: it's going to be a big one.
1: We've given that more time than it deserves. Right, let's move on.
0: We haven't given it enough time, quite frankly. Um, I, have,
1: I have good news. Oh, what is it? Cap's beard is back.
0: <laughs> by he which I mean, of back. course,
1: <laughs> that Emily van Kamp will be in the new Falcon and Winter Soldier TV show. Hooray! Hooray!
0: Sharon Carter returns.
1: Along with Daniel Burrell, of course. So uh, so yeah, that's good. That I'm is exciting. That. This is exciting.
0: So we know a little bit more about this as well. The Falcon and Winter Soldier series, which seems to be the first of the Disney Plus MCU content um, to, to hit. So it's going to be six episodes mm-hmm. rather than eight it's going to be directed all by one person and that one person is...
1: Carrie Scoglund. Thank you. Yep, from The Handmaid's Tale.
0: That's exactly what I was going to say.
1: It definitely you was. To
0: do right out of my mouth. And uh, what else is it? Uh, so we, we know it's going to deal with the fallout of Avengers Endgame and despite our spoiler conversation earlier on, I'm not quite comfortable yet with discussing exactly what that is or where it leaves our characters. But Simo coming back, who's mm-hmm. Civil War's bad guy, Daniel Brühl, last seen talking to Martin Freeman in a prison cell yeah. in Berlin.
1: Most successful cool. Marvel bad guy until Thanos. And ultimately, maybe...
0: Even the most spoiling. successful. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Oh, no, don't spoil things. Don't spoil, don't spoil, don't spoil things. the endgame. We spoil, can't tell we people can't, that the goodies won. Don't spoil
1: Come on. <laughs> Jesus. Don't
0: spoil the endgame. And, of course, uh, Emily Fankamp back as uh, Sharon Carter, who was last seen locking lips with uh, Chris Evans' Steve Rogers' And uh, be interested to see how she feels about certain developments. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. If we're
2: avoiding spoilers, mm-hmm. I'm going to cryptically say mm-hmm. that the the thing that this series looks like it could be, I really hope, is just a launching pad for, for something a else. Film mm-hmm. Yes, that does the thing because I think the thing that we want
0: to happen, Sharon Carter Squad. Yes, yes. I'm I'm entirely <laughs> on board with that. You're
1: so on the same page here, guys. A That's... group
0: definitely composed would. of Sharon Carter clones is that what you're saying
2: or people Get related Carters. to peggy carter and cap is just making out with all of them and he doesn't <laughs> care
0: cap <Going. laughs> steve rogers is slowly working his way through the carter family <laughs> through the and it's family called tree. got carter no. that
1: is what they're no. using no no hard pass No, no.
0: he's got the time no. travel tech Aunts, nieces brothers cousins he doesn't give a shit. If their second name's Carter, he <laughs> <will>. going in.
1: <laughs> what Carter, is happening?
0: That's her name. And then he just smoochy. Smooch, smooch.
1: Why? What is happening? How do smooch, I stop it?
0: Smoochy smooch. Y- smoo- what? And the subtitle is Smoochy Smooch with Stevie Roger Rog. <laughs> <laughs> So there, you go. there's a spoiler yeah. friend game for you.
1: Well, <laughs> by the way, if you've been looking for Chris's fanfic, uh, you now have the title, and you can you can find that on your nearest. Well,
0: let me show you why they call me Steve Rogers, eh? And then
1: what? I...
0: <laughs> no,
1: I can't describe the, the the gesture that Chris just made on the table. Um...
0: <laughs> it was truly obscene.
1: It was very wrong.
0: Say, Cap, you practice safe sex? Of course I do. I have a shield, don't I? A shield, hey? Say, what are you what you? What
1: accent does he have? <laughs> he's
0: from 1940s New York. They all speak like that. Hey, it's, a wise guy, huh?
1: He's very John Mullaney, which I, I guess I like. So John
0: Mulaney, could, yeah. John could, Mulaney
1: could play... He could
0: play Brian Carter.
1: <laughs> but then that would mean...
0: catches the eye of Steve Rogers.
1: okay. Bro, he's really going around yeah. the whole family.
0: Everyone experiments in superhero college, say? I'm,
1: I feel like your voice has changed again, like, like like literally four times now in like two minutes.
0: So, shall I talk about something else that's exciting sure. <laughs> me? Yeah. And that is the news that one of my favorite Stephen King novellas, novels, novel novellas, is coming to the big screen, hopefully. And it's called The Long Walk. It is a Richard Bachman book. In fact, you can find it in the compilation the Bachman books which also has The Running Man in there as well for me this feels very influential on in the likes of The Hunger Games so basically it's uh, set in a dystopian future on the hall and uh, every year there is a competition to bring together 100 young boys and make them walk for a long long time and if you drop out you get killed if you slow down beneath a certain pace more than three times mm. you get killed
1: I've been near that point in (laughs) marathons.
0: Until there's only one boy left. And that is an incredible, gripping, devastating, bleak piece of writing by Stephen King. Uh, It's extraordinary. And Frank Darabont, I think, had the rights to this for years. And even he couldn't crack this nut. Mm. But uh, James Vanderbilt, the writer of Zodiac, thinks he has cracked this nut. And has teamed up with Andre Overdal, who is the Norwegian director of Troll Hunter and the Autopsy of Jane Doe and knows his way around some scares. And he's mm. directing also Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, the Guillermo del Toro-produced movie, which is out later this year and looks fantastic. And I am absolutely there for that, especially if they don't change it up too much, if they keep the dark edges of the book as well, because as the boys walk along... Each the relationships form and cliques form as well, or cliques if you're listening in the States, and they get to really know each other, but it's obviously laced with the knowledge that only one kid can live, ultimately. So, yeah, really, really great stuff. If you haven't read it, check it out.
2: I mean, hopefully in a world where we've had the Hunger Games films and the Battle Royale films that they feel like they don't have to shave the edges of that story. I haven't heard mm. of that before, but it sounds amazing. I really like the fact that, considering we're getting so many Stephen King adaptations at the moment, that we are getting the remakes, we're getting the new It's, and we're getting Pet Symmetry and all of that lot, but we are getting stuff that hasn't been adapted for the screen before as well. And stuff like um, Gerald's Game... Gerald's Game was so good. Yeah, that was a story that I hadn't heard anything about, and that's really stayed with me. Um, the the version on Netflix, you should check it out if you haven't yeah, seen it. A really good mm. movie. Um, so it's really nice that we're getting these other stories that haven't been tapped before. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds amazing. There aren't that many left.
0: Not really. I mean, there's things like uh, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. There's From a Buick 8, which I think George Romero had had the rights to for a while. But really, there aren't that many left. We're almost at the point now where they're kind of, you know, we're beginning to see the remakes. We're beginning yeah. to see Pet Semataries and It's again, and Carries, but, yeah, and the Carries and Sell whatnot, them as well. yeah. But uh, it's good that there aren't. There is still some stuff in King's uh, old back catalogue there, which
1: and there's stuff that hasn't been done well. Let's be honest. Yeah. So there's there's lots of room for improvement on some of the ones that have been adapted. I mean, The Shining, for example,
0: just <laughs> dreadful. Shawshank
1: Redemption. Ugh.
0: Mick Garris nailed The Shining. <laughs> as he has nailed every Stephen King adaptation, for he is a true master of
1: horror. Yeah. Can I just say I was joking about those last bits, so please don't write in and tell me off. <laughs> Can we talk about the big trailer of the week? I refer, of course, to Downton Abbey, um, Uh. where the king and queen are coming. And people care, apparently. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: James' those little dinghy bells. (laughs)
0: James, by the way, he lost his shit when that trailer hit. (laughs) I mean, genuinely, it was like he'd been called home. It was was extraordinary.
2: People will think we're taking the piss, but the person who was most excited in the office about the Downton Abbey trailer genuinely was James Dyer. He He sees this as a documentary.
0: Yeah. Of his life. Yeah.
1: Well, he is a very fancy person.
0: But yes, so James loved the Downton Abbey, but I think, Helen, you may be referring to <laughs> the trailer for Terminator, Dark Fate. I do, do, am. Do, do, do.
2: Which actually isn't used in it. That's the music. <laughs> oh, that's what you're
0: doing. Okay, yeah. good. It was a thing. No. I just wanted to check. It's,
1: it's, it's very. It's going to confuse me. I'm going to keep confusing it with Dark Phoenix for at least the next six <laughs> months. I apologize now. Um, But yes, Terminator, whatever number we're on, Dark Fate. Six. 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 six, It's the Terminator film. They've notably notably (laughs) left out the number because (laughs) some of them were less than awesome. And it's just
2: ignoring all of those altogether.
1: Well, in fairness, I mean, it is probably wise to ignore some of the Terminator films because the more attention you pay to the logic and time travel elements of the plot – the less sense any of them make. And let's be honest, this is true of most time travel travel films, including a certain one that we've all seen quite recently. Hey,
0: either all of it's a joke or none of it is.
1: (laughs) So I'm going with all, is what I'm saying. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I thought this looks cool. I'm really pleased to see Linda Hamilton back. Um, I hope it is better than the last one since 1991.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is true. We had two Stone Cold classics and then Terminator 3, which is okay, Terminator 4 which was largely bilge but probably not as bad as we've since you know kind of built it up to be <laughs> and then there's Terminator 5 which is terrible
1: which one was five that was Terminator Jesus. Genesis the oh, one with Denisis. Amelia Clark
0: and yeah. yeah and Sam not Sam Worthington what's that guy Jai Courtney and yeah. yeah just awfulness yeah was um, not good this one is obviously loudly ballyhooing the fact that James Cameron was returning in a producing capacity. And the,
1: the last one did too, if I remember correctly. But okay. I don't think it did. He did.
0: No, he, was, he, he, was, he, he endorsed it, but he wasn't involved because he okay. couldn't be because of the right situation. But he was more like, hey, my buddy Arnold's back, and it's great, and you should go see it, and because my buddy Arnold's in it, and he's great, and you should go see it. And if I mentioned my buddy Arnold, you should go see it. But now he's back, and he's actually shaped a story and you know, Tim Miller, the director of Deadpool, is is, is on board as well. I, I thought the trailer was okay. Uh, it didn't blow me away, particularly. It's, it is good to see Linda Hamilton back as Sarah Connor. I'll be very interested to see how they explain that one away. But it just feels to me like one of those things where it's basically just remaking Terminator 2. It seems to be doing that. I don't know whether they're doing that or not. But the action set pieces seem very familiar. And it also there's this, there's this thing that a lot of these movies fall prey to that. This is actually what I think killed the Die Hard franchise, in that they mistake escalation of scope and scale for excitement, and they they, mm-hmm. they mistake that for escalation of of character and stakes. So just having John McClane face off with a with a, with a Harrier jump jet or a helicopter. That's not as compelling as just sticking him in a situation and watching him have to survive on nothing more than his, his wits. Yeah. Similarly, there seems to be something at the end of this where people are clinging to a falling plane or something yeah. like
1: that.
0: I mean, what do we, do, we need, do we need to go that big? I don't know. Listen, Cameron's on board Christmas Eve every day. Yes,
2: thank you. also massively here for mackenzie davis in this it seems like it's a bit of a um kind of force awakens situation where it's a, a sequel but it is also paying homage to the originals and um so you've got a new kind of set of characters who are analogous to the characters from the original films while also bringing back the characters from the originals you've got mackenzie davies uh who is playing a sort of Terminator-esque character, but she's actually a human, seems to be like an enhanced human of mm. some kind. Yep. Uh, and you see her knocking seven bells out of the new Terminator, which she looks great in that role. She was so good in Blade Runner 2049. She seems really exciting in this. And then...
1: And it's Gabrielle Luna, isn't it, from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as... Yes,
2: the Ghost Rider. Terminator.
1: Yeah, he's yeah. the Ghost Rider in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
2: Yeah, he's the new Terminator, who seems to be a sort of uh, T-800 endoskeleton with a t1000 liquidy thing around him and they can sort of separate but they're both the same it's quite cool i think i like that shot where the sort of liquid bit goes off the
0: metal bit mm.
1: it does look kind of cool so yeah. I mean, beautifully I
0: think... described ben yeah uh, hey, hey listen,
1: he's uh, dazzling uh, us with the terminology yeah,
2: this today.
0: is why i work at empire magazine yeah. i hope it's good i really do because it needs it because otherwise this uh, this franchise i think is dead uh, because if Cameron coming back can't energise it uh, but I worry that there's nothing new here particularly no but indeed but, but there crossed. may
1: well be more to it than that.
0: fingers crossed yeah. it, they, we need it we've got three bad Terminator films we've got two good Terminator films we need we need, we need a, to even it up we need a level of scores yeah, that's
1: true um, also obviously in trailer news this week there was once upon a time in Hollywood trailer we talked a little bit about la that la, la 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 debut at Cannes but that is out there it's happening go watch the trailer it's very cool that's all I'll say mm-hmm.
0: yes have I seen that I don't know, Chris. No, because I'm not, because I'm avoiding it. I'm avoiding sure. it. Sure. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. So, time now for our second guest. And he is an actor turned director who returns to the directing chair this week with Rocket Man, which tells the story in musical form of one Reginald Dwight, a.k.a. Elton Hercules John. I love the Hercules bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, what just...
1: I didn't know that before. Yeah, but just Hercules. add
0: Hercules to your 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 fictional name. Why not? Go Helen for it,
1: Hercules O'Hara.
0: I like it. I like it. It is, of course, Dexter Fletcher who returns with Rocket Man, which stars Taron Egerton as Elton John, and is a full blown musical. Mm. And in this conversation, I sat down with uh, Dexter earlier on this week in a London hotel room, and we chatted about that, and we chatted about the various challenges of bringing this this film to the big screen, and we also touched a little bit. On the very strange situation in which Fletcher finds himself, because obviously he was the guy who finished off Bohemian Rhapsody after Brian Singer was fired, but was never credited on the movie and never got to bask in any of its glory. You know, the four Oscars, the $900 million worldwide, all that sort of stuff. So we talked a little bit about that as well. Uh, here we go. Me talking to Dexter Fletcher. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the director of Rocket Man, Dexter Fletcher. Hello, how
6: are you? How are you? I'm good, thanks. Chris. How are you, mate? All right. Yeah,
0: not too bad. Always good to have you back in the podcast. And You're fresh from Cannes. How fresh are you?
6: Uh, not, not rosy, rosy fresh. Not you know box <laughs> fresh, uh, but fairly fresh. Um, got got to sleep in my own bed, which was helps a lot which
0: I now believe you probably have transported around the world with you I don't it just
6: follows me everywhere they take the (laughs) mattress the bed and everything that goes with it the uh the side table and and the lamp uh yeah no we we had a while we had a great time and and sat and watched it with Elton and Bernie Taupin um and Taron and Richard Madden and Bryce it was yeah it's quite a moment
0: how yeah because that experience of of seeing it for the first time uh What was yeah. that like? Was that in Canada? Was was, was it's that the first time was the first he'd time? seen it completed? It's the first okay. time
6: he sort of, seen, you know, he'd seen bits and pieces and he heard the music. I think he intentionally kind of kept himself away from it so that he could have the have the moment as it were and mm. he, obviously David his husband is a producer and kept him abreast and kept him up to speed on everything that was happening and how things were progressing and what was going back and forward. So, I mean, it's not like he was walking in completely in the dark. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? He was uh, <laughs> like, they, you know, am hey, what I? What the fuck have you done? Yeah, well, yeah I'm being <laughs> played it? by a woman. What's, uh, <laughs> hey, what's going on? Um, that We didn't go quite that far. And um, why am I married to a giraffe? Um, but he, he was, uh, yeah, he was He was sort of sitting there for the first time and certainly with Bernie as well watching it. Yeah,
0: I can imagine that was, that was pretty special.
6: It's Yeah, it makes it hard to watch the screen. You end up sort of like glancing, just neck crick to one side to watch, to watch them.
0: You need a swivel chair so you can just swivel around That's and watch them. That's normally what I demand as
6: well as a <laughs> swivel chair. Uh, on this occasion, I was denied.
0: I, I imagine you're probably talked out about the fact that you directed part of Bohemian Rhapsody and this movie as well. Mm. You took a break from prepping this movie to go and do Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. But I am fascinated by, because you get to enjoy this part now, mm. because mm. Bohemian Rhapsody... Did what it did, yeah. at the box office. Did what it did at the Oscars, yeah. And I imagine it was a weird situation, weird feeling for you, and that you I were proud of it, but you couldn't fully enjoy it.
6: I don't know about that because I, i you know, I went into it with my eyes open, um, and um, I, I knew that they weren't kind of like let's bring you in and hold you up as the savior on a you know white knight on a charger, sort of coming in to, to do that. That was not what I was i was doing that's not what they asked me to do i went in and and you know there's a vision of a my predecessor there and that's what i just tried to be you know sort of honor that Mm. and 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 be kind of pick up that that thread but it wasn't my vision it wasn't my project it wasn't my thing i am sure i got to be involved in it for for a significant amount of it you Mm. know um um But it wasn't my baby. Yeah,
0: you know, this is your baby.
6: Yeah, this is my baby. and and so I could, I had a great experience working with Rami and the actors and the crew and all that, you know, and that's. So I can be proud of that when it goes on to, to do what it did. At the same time, I didn't carry responsibility for it. If it had not done what it did, uh, then equally I could have gone, well, that wasn't my fault. Uh, (laughs) You know, I, I so I kind of had the best of both worlds in that respect. Uh, you know, I'm proud of it and but I get how it works. It's yeah. part of the part of the game.
0: But this movie, where did you start with it? Because there's a script, obviously, uh, hmm. when you come on board, but how much did you change that script? How much did you change and what was your what 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 was your starting point essentially for the for this story?
6: Well, it was when Matt Vaughan called me and went, Look, it's R rated, it's a musical, it's Taron playing Elton John. So you know, that was that was the first call that I got. But the script came um and it was um, a version that had, was the latest version that they were out, you know, that they'd sent to Matthew that David had shared with Matthew. And then of course, yeah, I, I come on as a director and you're doing your director's pass. And I sat with a guy called Dave Reed who works with mm. Matthew and we, we bashed it out for, you know, bashed it around for six months of sort of making it um resonate, for me really you mm. know uh, and and what would make this thing possible and i changed songs i changed the order of things the structure was there and it was good and um but then i you know swapped some people out for other people and um kind of made it my own in that respect and i invented things that i wanted in there um stuck you know i want love in there and uh, uh, um uh, don't let the sun go down on me. Well,
0: oh, that wasn't in there.
6: Well, don't let the sun go down yeah. on me. Initially? No. Wow. No. That's not, interesting. But I recall, yeah. no. Okay. No.
0: Did you want to bring part of your own experience as well? Did you see anything in Elton's life and his journey that was analogous yeah, to, to what yeah. you'd gone through as well? Yeah,
6: yeah. I mean, I've not been, you know, shy about talking about that before. But it's it's, I suppose, that part of your life where you need to ask for help when you're at a certain place and you might be quite, you know... A public figure or, or, or not necessarily a public figure, but you just someone who needs help and you need to come back from something maybe. And mm. um and so obviously, yeah, no, that resonated quite deeply for me, having been through that twenty years earlier myself and, and 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 had my own issues there. Uh that was something I was keen to explore and talk about and bring my own experience to to the script as well. I mm. think that hopefully that that's where that honesty about that journey can come from i mean I, you know i have i have my own thoughts on that my own experience that i can talk to and if you know once that script is developed and my past is done and elton and david read that if there was anything that they didn't feel was true to elton's experience or elton's journey then i would have quickly known about it but obviously there's there's uh there's a sort of connection across that divide, if you like.
0: Yeah, because the movie starts with Elton going to rehab. Yeah. Did it always start that way, as far as you can recall?
6: Yeah. yeah. Yes, I, I'm pretty sure it did. God, I, yeah, I wonder... Did it? <laughs> I remember what song it was there, and it wasn't the song that's there now. It must have done. It did because that opening speech is Lee's. Absolutely, I I tweaked it maybe, but yeah, okay. it was always it always always set out his seven sort of deadly sins, if you like, the, the, <laughs> you know, the kind of I'm in this particular place sort of thing. And I was like, oh, we get to see all of this. Yeah, this is what's coming. So yeah, that was always there, and that is something that I developed up more. I I, I kind of echo back to more and more, and and realised that for me, that's where the film really happens. Yeah. That's where, you know, uh, it's all really happening. It's all happening in that space. And and actually the film is not a biopic, it's a recollection. It's yeah. an unpacking of, uh, of Elton and his life.
0: Which allows you to do all sorts of things. I love the fact that this is a full-blown musical. Mm. I love the fact that you yeah. have musical sequences and fantastical musical sequences as well. And I believe it was Matthew who came up with the idea of it being a true fantasy. That was the kind of the, the tagline.
6: That yeah that tagline's yeah, something that that Matthew coined fairly early on, and uh because it's a memory, it's not a biopic, it's not yeah. factually correct, it's sort of intentionally inaccurate because <laughs> because memory is fallible, you know and in the most brilliant way because once you start telling it, it becomes a story actually you know and and you have to use. Use things to engage people's imagination so they understand how you felt emotionally at that time. So you might say, you know, it felt like everyone was flying in that moment. And that's an imaginative leap that the listener has to make. But it's something as the storyteller you might employ in order to communicate that's how this moment felt. Because it's so much more poetic and better to go, yeah, it was a really good night. Mm. Yeah, yeah, really yeah, yeah. Good. it doesn't yeah. cover it. It, yeah. re- it was a really good night. It went really well. Yeah. Doesn't cover it. But you so you have to employ some sort of language or some sort of storytelling device in order to go this is what it was. I looked up and everyone was floating around by the ceiling like balloons. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah, you yeah, might yeah. and and you might get then you go, "Oh, I get that." Because it was a really good night. It's like going out of space what it was it like? It was really big. It's slightly like, it it Yeah, it was spicy for lots of room. It doesn't it doesn't begin to cover the enormity of what it is you're trying to tell.
0: Does that also feed into the decision that you made to not use A, a sound alike, or B to have Taron do an impression of Elton, or C, mm. even just use Elton's original recordings because this isn't an impression. This is Taryn's interpretation. So no. I actually think it would have been weird had suddenly Taron gone from speaking Yeah, as he does to suddenly singing Singing in that voice. voice.
6: Yeah, Yeah, that's true. I never really ever considered in that because it was it's pitched to me as a musical. It's a musical, and a musical means that whoever's playing that part sings that part. Yeah, you know the the. the,
0: the, If this was a stage musical, it would still be Taron. Using well, it would have to be, wouldn't it?
6: When yeah. was well, you going to walk exactly. out on stage and then suddenly start miming? You'd be like, hang on a minute, what's <laughs> my 40 go, quid yeah exactly? Was my, my one hundred and eighty-seven pound bag?
0: or whatever. Oh, you're you're in much better to. seats than I am. Yeah, 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 yeah. Forty quid seats. All
6: oh, right, okay. Obscured <laughs> view. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, and, and and so and that's how I understand a musical was the be. I, you know. Done on myself and my time. And I suppose that's where the theatricality of it comes from. I knew that I had to have theatricality because that's Elton's life is like that. That's, that's what it, it sort of demanded. Um, the, the, there was a theatrical kind of take on it. Mm. And, and that means that Bryce sings, Richard Madden sings, Jamie Bell sing. You know, they, if they're coming to do their, those parts, that's, that's the minimum requirement. Mm.
0: And it's interesting that Elton himself doesn't appear in the film right sonically until right at the mm-hmm. very end with that duet he did with uh with, yeah with when the Taran. film's kind of done really exactly
6: yeah, yeah no that's intentional I, I i you know i said you know very early on that elton has uh, taron has to sing everything yeah and so there's stuff that's that's needle drop you know that we simply put on during the edit like, oh, it would be great to have rock and roll Madonna here taron had to go in and record it you know oh, Amarena. that's he's <laughs> got to go and record it he's got to you know he had to so i kept putting tracks on the edit would say oh i've tried this track here it really works, and, and Taron would have to go in and record it, and so he ended up recording a hell of a lot of music.
0: How hardcore an Elton fan were you before you took this on?
6: I don't know about hardcore. I mean, I'm 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 fifty odd, and Elton's been going for that sort of length of time, so it's always been the backdrop to my yeah my life. You know, as long as I've been around, he has, and I think that's the same for a lot of people. I mean, like. I can't give you every track on every album or the order that they, you know, appeared and all of that. And there'll be some aficionados out there that will, you know, uh, be able to put us all to shame. Uh, but I remember listening to Goodbye Yellow Brick Road when I was a kid, round at my cousin's house uh, when I was a kid and and, and, um, and looking at that album and and yeah. being enthralled by that, that Artwork on the front and stuff, and I and I sort of knew his story as I grew up. Like we do, you know. Suddenly he got married, and it was like in the eighties, <laughs> like, oh, everyone was yeah, like, "What? Was just getting married? <laughs> <laughs> that's, okay, that's odd." And then him, you know, going into rehab as yeah. well, and then years, few years later, meeting his husband and getting mm. married. And when and and so all that stuff was in my my uh, cultural awareness, but yeah. it wasn't like, "What's Elton doing today?" <laughs> What's he doing today? What's, what's he done? What did he Must,
0: do? I gotta wake up and I gotta put on a, rec- yeah, a record. I gotta, my, a record? Album yeah, I gotta put on
6: a Fix, you know, it's <laughs> not. But I love the music. Yeah, uh, but, but you weren't
0: adding stuff. You were, uh, you were adding. There's, there's some, there's some tracks in this movie that I would say, you know, are fairly deep cuts mm. as well. Yeah. So, you know, did, did you, did you broaden? Did you have those ready yeah. to go? Were you fans of those? No, no. They were
6: the discoveries as you we went along. Sometimes, yeah. like I say, the editor Chris Dickens would would suddenly say, "Look, I've been messing around and I found this, and it's." Feels like it works, and, and especially for the early parts of the film when he first goes to LA and, and times like that. So, yeah. no, no, that, but they're great discoveries, they're great joys to discover those things and say, Oh, yeah, that really does well. You know, take me to the pilot, yeah. When it comes, it's like that's literally what oh, I was thinking about, yeah. It's like that's a great moment, what a great thing to, uh, but no, initially, he had nothing on it at all, there's no music on any of it, and it wasn't like it was written in the script they. Roll around and take me to the pilot plays. That that's one of those <laughs> those magic things that happens in the edit.
0: What was your first Elton experience like? Taryn's now in private jets with him. He's Instagramming yeah, with him is. every five seconds. Well, mine's
6: not too bad. Yeah. Um, when it comes to that, I I met David Furnish and with that uh, Matt Vaughan. and we sat and talked about what I would like to do and what it meant to me and, and that that went well. Um, which was great and then it was like a monday and i got a phone call and they said oh, Elwood would like to have lunch with you on wednesday i thought like, oh great i'm ready for that i started gathering some notes and getting stuff ready oh, and oh, i talked to him about this and that and blah, blah, blah. so yeah yeah um but he's in vegas so you have to you have to go to <laughs> vegas I was like, oh right okay then great I was like okay i've just moved into a completely different world i'm going to vegas for lunch essentially which I gotta say it was a first for me going anywhere further than <laughs> than Soho for lunch.
0: Is this like when you met the proclaimers for the first time?
6: On- <laughs> I suppose it is actually. I did, I did go I did go to Edinburgh, it's okay. true. I did go up there and meet those guys. It's a bit more than lunch. But yes. Um so yeah, so I was like, okay, so then I me and Giles Martin jumped on a plane and flew out to Vegas. And uh we landed and we were meant to go straight from the airport to this lunch. And in the car on the way, we got a call and said, look, we're deeply sorry, but Elton can't make lunch today. Come tomorrow. He's got a clear diary. It's, you know, he doesn't want to rush it. Come tomorrow. So I'm like, Jules, we're in Vegas for the day. We, you know, we've got a night in Vegas that we didn't know we were going to have. We've got to go to lunch tomorrow. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, don't worry, I've got a show on. We're going to see my show. So he's got love <laughs> on there. It was just... So me and Giles went and had a couple of cocktails, and went and saw a show, and did some minor gambling, which was <laughs> boring. Walked around and looked at all these people smoking, um, and then the next day we went to lunch. Yeah. So we meant to have this hour, but it, of course, you know, we sat down and and Elton uh, said, "Right, ask me anything you want. What do you want to know? What, what's you know what? What do you need to know? Where do you want to start?" Uh, which was, which I don't know why I that took me by surprise. But yeah, and he was sort of very candid, very quickly, because I I had to I felt I had to take the deep dives sort of quite soon. You know, I had to start asking about his relationship with his mother and his father, and mm. and you know his you know his substance abuse and mm. this kind of stuff that I felt you know not uh, knowing someone particularly well if they want to talk about it, and you know it, it's a it's a very personal thing. Yeah, of course. So. Um, but he was like remarkably candid and told me, Oh, yeah, no, there was this one time when you know, da, 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 and started talking about something in quite graphic detail that back in the 70s, I was like, Wow, okay, so I, said, I mean, it made everyone laugh. It's you know, it's a funny anecdote about you know, going a bit too far one night with on the gear or whatever, whatever, you know, <laughs> it's not really important <laughs> what it is, uh, but. Um, I'm like, wow, I'm sitting here with Elton John and he's telling me, you know, what he felt and yeah. what he's been through. And that's when I, I sort of realised, okay, this is what the film sort of needs to be. It needs yeah. to honour that and and be of him. And it may not necessarily be factually accurate at all times, but it it does try to reflect, reflect and celebrate him.
0: Did you uh, chase down kind of secondary sources? Did you talk to other people who had been there who'd experienced that stuff? Or were you... Because this is Elton's point of view. You just really... Yeah, well, that's what you
6: very quickly is there's no, there's no official biography. Yeah. As such as yet. And, I, you know, you read them and you quickly realise, like, here's someone who's, you know, pulled together a lot of quotes and interviews and resources together and then made all these kind of assumptions in between. So... Uh, so I was like well if they can do that I can do that <laughs> I can go and actually talk to Elton and, and, and you know find out what was his feel what he was feeling but then as a filmmaker as the you know doing my pass I need to create a narrative through and I need to get there and it's I'd Given myself this license to say it's a memory, it's not an autobiography, it's a memory. And I tell you the story of my career or my life, I'm going to skip certain things because it's mm. not interesting that I skinned up in, when I was 16 years old and I didn't stop skinning up until I was 27. Mm. It's just, so, in that in 10 years, I rolled a lot of joints, but mm. you know, it's like it's not interesting. That's 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 where it no, yeah, begins and ends yeah. so yeah, I yeah. can skip okay. that part I yeah, can yeah. jump it up because there's things that happen there but they're all related to that and and once you know that it doesn't matter how many anecdotes I tell you that are related to that it's like okay that's not mm. important what's the next significant thing that happened well the next significant thing after I started skinning up was I stopped skinning up you No, know? mm. that's the next and I met such and such a person mm. that's the significant thing so You've got to allow yourself to go, well, there's all this thing, but what's important? That's yeah. why the film in two hours jumps through 30-odd years. Yeah. You've got to be, allow it to do that because otherwise I'm like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> you smoked another joint. You sniffed another line.
0: You've ticked another box. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
6: But once you get it, you get it. Yeah. You, know, you don't need to be told for 20 times. And oh it went on for a long time, so it, but the songs allowed the music allowed for that my understanding of it and my complete ease with that allows me you know it's there's going to be people who go well he, hang on that he didn't sing that song then because that song wasn't written so no, but it's about a moment it's about a feeling and I use that song it like a musical number he didn't want i want he didn't write I want love mm. or sing it around his dining room table back in nineteen sixty two but that's where I use it. And so that's that's it. Fine, I can do what I like. <laughs>
0: well, Dex, I could talk to you all day. In fact, I'm going to talk to you for a little bit longer about uh, for the spoiler special. Uh, but it's been a pleasure. Dexter Fletcher, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so that was Dexter Fletcher. And now it is time for this week's incredible offer from The Economist. Yes, Chris, thanks for that link, which was in no way recorded hours before this bit was recorded. Anyway, never mind that. Focus on what I'm about to say. And what I'm about to say is that once again, this week's podcast is sponsored by the legendary magazine, The Economist. Now, as you know, Empire is celebrating its 30th birthday this year, but like Richard Dreyfus and Jaws, The Economist has got that beat, and then some. It's over 170 years old and remains your indispensable guide to economics, politics, entertainment, and the world around us. And, once again, we have an incredible offer for Empire Podcast listeners, a free print issue of The Economist. Absolutely free. Gratis. No money will change hands. And this week's edition, dated May 18th, is an absolute belter, with well-written and informed articles on a myriad of topics, from an in-depth look at the end of the reign of the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, to an article about the importance of implementing a sugar tax And a sugar tax is important. Like, believe me, my dentist would probably agree. Although, then again, he might have an issue with that, as it would mean I would have less sugar and therefore wouldn't need to pay to see the dentist that often. Hmm. That's a toughie, actually. Anyway, there's also a great article about how George Orwell's 1984 could easily have become irrelevant in the wake of the fall of the Soviet Union, but has actually endured, grown in reputation, and become, if anything, more timely and relevant. And there's an interesting and sobering report on how climate change might make conflicts around the globe more likely. And that's just four articles in the issue. There's a whole ton of stuff I've barely scratched the surface. So essentially, whatever your interests or fields of expertise are, The Economist will sit you down, look you in the eye, and tell you what's what. So, if you want to get your hands on a free print copy of The Economist... And stimulate your mind nuggets with all kinds of the good stuff. And frankly, why wouldn't you? It couldn't be simpler. All you have to do is text a word. Movies. Movies. You've heard of those? You're listening to a podcast about them. Movies. To the following number. 78070. That number again. 78070. And that word again. Movies. Movies. And thank you once again to The Economist for sponsoring the show. Now, back to me, for the rest of the show that was absolutely not recorded before this bit. Okay, now it is time to talk about this week's reviews and we just freshly heard from Dexter Fletcher so let's start off with Rocketman and this, of course, is the story of Elton John. Hmm. What do we make of this?
1: Well, I rather like this. I think it's um, it's a really interesting approach to the sort of biopic angle where you're, you know, as you say turning it into a genuine musical um which is unusual um and i think the songs are woven in pretty well some of them are some of the ones they've chosen to fit sort of textually are not the bangers let's be honest like some of his big songs barely get a play in this film just because they don't fit maybe the the storyline as well um so you know it you're a little bit like, oh, but I wanted to hear that other one, you know, mm, okay. But having said that, it's an amazing <laughs> looking film because, you know, it It, it was, he had an amazing costume apart from anything else. He has a mm. red devil outfit he wears in this that I would genuinely lust after. I would like to wear it, maybe not every day, but certainly sometimes when I didn't have to go buy Crowded Tube.
0: Just for Just, podcast recording
2: sessions. And for yes. nipping to Sainsbury's. Yes.
1: Yes. Can you imagine? You'd be so freaking cool. He has just a wonderful, wonderful wardrobe. But also, um, it's just a really compelling story of a guy who, um, you know, frankly, had a horrendous family background. His his parents seemed to be vying for worst parent of the year award. Um, But he had a a supportive granny and, and, you know, his own natural gifts for music and that sort of got him through. And then when, he, when fame came calling, which he did at quite a young age, he found himself still sort of isolated and still kind of struggling to figure out who he is, what he wanted, what, what to do in his life. And uh, certainly in this narrative was preyed upon as a result of that by, by rather unsavory figures. Uh, Richard Madden's take on John Reed here will make you glad that the Red Wedding happened because screw that guy. <laughs> I mean, seriously. John Reed, of course, claim.
0: played in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes, uh, so the same character directed by by Dexter Fletcher both times but played by In Bohemian Rhapsody by uh Aiden Gillen. Aidan yeah. Also, also of Game of Thrones. Of Game of Thrones, <laughs> yeah.
1: So two very different takes on on the character. Um but obviously he is essentially an abusive boyfriend here. Yes. He is. Um and I don't know how close that is to the history or not but it's it's quite upsetting to watch at times. Taron Egerton I think is great in this role. He is so empathetic. You desperately want what's best for him and and he's desperately not doing it for most of the film and sort of running from his own life and you know seeking solace and drink and drugs and and everything else and you know, you just want the best for him and you end up caring desperately about what happens to him, which I can't say I really did about Elton John before this, with the greatest of respect. I think, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's got some bangers, as I say, but like, <laughs> bangers. I'm not a fan. But, yeah, I just I came out of this really, really invested in his well-being and, and you know, awfully glad that he seems to find happiness later in life.
0: Well done, Elton yeah, John. Yeah,
1: good for you, Elton.
0: Yeah, I, I thought this was terrific. I was on set, so I will say that uh, as well. So... But I thought this was was really really great fun, and what I really liked about this was the fact that it is a musical. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly I cannot believe that this hasn't really been done before, at least not that I can think of. There's there's stuff like you go all the way back to something like a Yankee Doodle Dandy or a Jolson sings again, where, where the the songs of the the, the singer are. Are, are spliced into the film, but it's not really the same thing. This is a full-blown musical, with full-blown fantasy sequences. Uh, there are some performance elements as well, but by and large, this is one of those movies where people just start singing to each yeah, other. Yeah. And uh, I kind of dug that, actually, and, uh, the, and the interpretations of the songs and the very interesting choice that I don't think everyone's going to like, mm. that Taryn Edgerton isn't doing an Elton John impression or they're not using Elton John's actual voice. And it is just Taron mm. singing, occasionally sounding like Elton, but not always.
1: Yeah, I think I think he's I think he's trod, trod a very fine line actually when he's speaking. Some of the intonations and the sort of rhythm of his language is very Elton. I mean, the, the accent I think is is spot on, um, especially in some of those group scenes. Um, later on in the film but um but yeah i think he's close enough that you feel like this is elton john but equally he's not being slavish he's not focused on that to the extent of you know losing the character i i worry a little bit about how many of these kind of jukebox films are in the works and that we're getting you know obviously mamma mia and bohemian rhapsody were huge successes you know people are talking like if this film doesn't make 800 million worldwide it's failed and i think that's an insane kind of Bohemian, yeah,
0: Bohemian Rhapsody is just... It's uh, a freak of nature. Yeah, it's, it's blowing everything out of proportion.
1: Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if they were all this original and this this kind of daring, then I think, you yeah. know, I'd, I'd keep watching all of these ones. I mean, they're talking about Bruce Springsteen and Madonna and all these other mm. kind of back catalogs uh, in in some kind of form, whether this or more of a Mamma Mia approach. Um, I If they're all this kind of... Interesting and fresh feeling, then I guess it'll be all right.
0: Yeah, it's R rated. It it goes for it. the The music is refreshing. The performances are great. Yeah, I had a blast with it. And you know, <laughs> the regular listeners of the podcast will know that I didn't have a blast with Bohemian Rhapsody. And I think this is just a this is a, a much better film. Mm. That may not be reflected in the in the box office worldwide, or indeed the number of Oscars this film gets. But uh, I had a, a much better time with it. Yeah, me too. Four stars then for Rocket Man, and then we come on now to Aladdin, mm. which is the latest disney live-action adaptation of one of their animated classics ben
2: yeah this is the the story that everyone knows of uh the diamond in the rough the street rat aladdin hey i don't buy that See what you did there? You, See what you did you, there? Yeah. Um, who is sent on a mission by Jafar to get a magic lamp. Uh, he's in love with Princess Jasmine, but they can't be together because he's a street rat and she's a princess. Uh, but then when he finds the lamp, there's a genie inside. Wow, a genie gives him three wishes. Holy shit. Uh, so, sorry, spoiler culture we talked about before. Yeah, we, yeah. This moratorium on Aladdin is past. And this is, yeah, Guy Ritchie doing this one.
1: Uh,
2: it's uh, It's... Fine.
1: It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It has no reason to exist. But it's fine it, that it does.
2: Yeah. I, I I, think the strengths of it lie in Mina Masood, who plays Aladdin, is really charming. <sighs> Naomi Scott, who plays Jasmine, is really charming as well. And they have some nice chemistry. Uh, some other casting
0: choices... <sighs> I, Helen does not look convinced. No, you, I,
1: then. I, okay. So here's the thing. So Mina Masood looks like Aladdin, like the cartoon of Aladdin. Like he has enormous eyes. He's super, super handsome. He has they've that done hair. Some, They've done some weird thing to his hair to make him look almost like candle. Like I feel <laughs> like. Um, but he's, you know, he's super, super good-looking guy and very charming, as you say. With the greatest of respect, I don't think he can sing well enough for these songs. He he's he has a. Have he you heard voice. the Peter
0: Andre version of a whole new world? It's better without than that. It, that is
1: fair. It is better than the Peter <laughs> Andre version, but it is not. You know, these are big Broadway numbers, and I think he and Will Smith actually do not have big Broadway voices. When Will Smith is essentially rapping his lyrics, he's great. When he tries to do the big Arabian Nights number that opens the film, it's it's. Thin. there's like it's a disconnect
2: great. between what you see on the screen and what you hear it doesn't sound like mm. that's coming from him mm. i think as well there are moments in this where having grown up in like the will smith heyday when he was just the coolest guy in the world there are a couple of hints of that like that pizzazz that energy that he has but then whenever he has to be blue and floaty it just is yeah, not quite connect it's weird and they <laughs> he's trying to like bring his spin to the character. But his spin quite work. to the Robin Williams version of that character, and I really wish they'd just mm. said, forget the Robin Williams thing altogether. And just Just, do just be you. Yeah. Just do, do a totally different version of the genie. I mean, I there's, there's a
1: fresh Prince joke in there. Yeah. You know, which is quite fun, actually. Mm, okay. Um, and and there's some moments like that which are very Will Smith, and they work really well. But you're right, it's, it's trying to fit him into the genie mould doesn't... Mm doesn't match at all now, Naomi Scott as uh, as Jasmine I think her voice is much much stronger than the other two um, she gets a big new number because the, the the filmmakers behind this seem to think that the original Jasmine was not rebellious mm. and she was just a princess and I'm like I'm sorry did you not see the film? <laughs> but they have slightly amped up her role they've given her a couple more songs and a little bit more of a through line and and that largely works the, the new song is very let it go it's
2: extremely frozen in a way that it's like it's that's not bad but it just sounds very different it stands out compared to all the yeah. other numbers mm. which from that Disney Renaissance period, a very kind of zingy and fast-paced. Yeah. and Hers is this big sort of like show-stopping ballad. Fact, literally, literally show-stopping. Literally they have show-stopping. to. They have to stop the film for her <laughs> to have the song. Yeah. And then move on. Speaking of which, some of the stylistic stuff in this. It's not particularly guy-ritchie but then in the moments when it is
0: guy-ritchie I wanted it to stop being guy-ritchie.
1: Yeah, Ritchie. It ke- they keep speed ramping bits in the fights. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's now, which interesting. Is bizarre. Okay. Yeah.
0: I haven't seen it so I, I was wondering how much guy-ritchie is in this film. N- it's not even it
1: doesn't feel like even guy-ritchie speed ramping per se it feels like they've just sped it up to make it look okay. f- faster. I mean I- which I know sounds o- obvious and trite but like they've literally sped up bits that they... S- to an unnaturally human yeah. pace, for no obvious reason. It's not a purely stylistic thing like I Ritchie does. It's like it's like they couldn't get the action fast enough, so they've sped it up later. But it doesn't look human anymore. I think what's what bizarre
2: is, is that. For me, one of my issues was it, with it was that the musical numbers in it, and these are like big, lavish musical mm. numbers, for me actually didn't have any real energy to them. And I think they have to use those tricks to try and give it a bit of a sense of energy.
1: Yeah, the and Prince the same, Ali number is slow.
2: Yeah, mm. I mean, I had the same issue with the Beauty and the Beast remake, where yeah. it's like throwing visual glitter at the screen to try and compensate for a lack of actual yeah. like mm. momentum. I
1: think what this is, it's more Beauty and the Beast end of the Disney remake spectrum, than the Cinderella end,
2: mm-hmm.
1: if you know what I mean. So Cinderella took some risks, went out there, essentially dropped mm-hmm. huge swathes of, mm-hmm. the, of the animation. This is much more slavish. This is much more faithful and okay. not always to its benefit.
0: We shall see where the falls on that curve later on in the year <laughs> as well. Okay, and then three stars for Aladdin, which, as we always say in the Emperor podcast, is a recommendation. But perhaps if you're going for a musical this week, maybe go for Rocketman.
1: Yeah, I would say so.
0: Okay, well, on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by Charles Dance, one Ooh. of the stars of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and of course, formerly of Game of Thrones and The Golden Child, and all sorts of great movies as well.
1: Spa. <laughs> and, uh,
0: and also Jim Cummings, the writer, director, star, editor, composer, all sorts of stuff of the excellent indie flick Thunder Road. Can't say for that. Right, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. It is goodbye from Ben Travis. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I am off on a jet plane, not though, to Madrid. But you never know. You never know, guys. We do. Something might happen. Something might just fall out of the sky. Look, get in touch. DM me. Flights. Accommodation. Chris. Two tickets. Guaranteed what Chris they can hear
1: you they can hear you you should definitely not do this
0: shit thanks for listening see you next week bye